Take your Bibles, turn them with me please to Ephesians chapter number 6. We are still focusing on the family and have been doing so for the last five weeks. This will be our sixth message in this series talking about what God says concerning the family. Now you say, Rosa, why in the world are we spending so much time on this one topic? Well, because we realize the importance of the family. We realize the purpose of the family. And therefore we realize the power of the family. It's always been God's purpose to spread his image throughout the whole earth through the vehicle of the family. That's been true since the beginning. And I'm going to tell you something, if we're going to make a lasting difference, a real difference in this world, it starts in our home. It starts in my home and in your home. And so we need to see what God says about the family because it was God who created the family. And we realize that uh, the family was created long before the church. The family was created long before government. The family was created before anything else because we know the family has always been the foundation of society itself the way God created it. The family is of utmost importance. The family does have purpose and therefore it has power. And so we want to get that right. We must get that right if we're really going to make a difference in the world that we live in. Now God has given us some instructions straight from his word that teach us what the family is supposed to be. How the family is supposed to operate. Let's see if we can do this again. Y'all help me preach this morning. God's word works, but you've got to work it. I've got to work it. God's word is truth. God will be faithful to his promise. God will do exactly what he said he will do. But you need to understand that don't let you off the hook to just do whatever you want to do. If you want God's blessing, you got to do things God's way. And God's, work, God's word will certainly work for you and work for me when we choose to work it out in our lives, when we choose to apply it to ourselves and to our family. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter number 6, I've given you four main points that we've been going over for the last four weeks. And we said that every member, first of all, must be spirit-filled. If you believe that, say amen. It is through the filling of the Holy Spirit that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in our life and in our home. And that's a home I want to live in. That's the home we need. That's the home that God wants. That's the home that God has planned. <laughs> that we be controlled by the God the Holy Spirit. We must be spirit-filled. Every member must be spirit-filled, but every, sp every spouse must fulfill their role. And the husband has a role, and the wife has a role, and we've talked about all that. And then we said last week, and I'm going to try to finish this up this morning, that every parent must do their part. Every parent must do their part. And we looked, first of all, at Ephesians 6 and verse number 4. And we got about halfway through that verse, and I want to finish that up uh, this morning. Um, and so look with, with me there to the fourth verse of Ephesians chapter number 6. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now we said last time we were together that God is certainly speaking to fathers. He makes that plain. And how many know when I say God is speaking, I'm telling you that all the Word of God is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. 
That means it's God-breathed. Yes, it was written down by the Apostle Paul, but inspired by God himself. And so when, what God is saying to us is that, fathers, there's some things we don't need to do, and there's some things we certainly need to do. Now, he is speaking to fathers, but not only to fathers. He puts fathers here because we realize, guys, that with headship in the home comes responsibility, and we will be held responsible for how we lead our children, our family, to Jesus. We understand that, or at least I hope and, hope and pray that we do up to this point. But he's not only talking to fathers. This is certainly true for mothers as well. It's for every parent in the home, the mother and the father. And, and then I've got these two main points that I want to give you this morning. He tells us, first of all, what we shouldn't do and then what we should do. So let's look at what we shouldn't do. He says, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. He says, do not do that. Don't cause your children to live a life of anger controlled by anger, acting out in anger. Amen? And so this morning, I want us to take a close look at that. How can we provoke our children to, laugh, to wrath? How, how can we do that? Because if we can figure out how we can do it, then, then we can figure out how, uh, we don't, what, what we don't need to do. Does that make sense? And so how do you provoke your children to wrath? Let me give you three ways. First of all, we provoke our children to wrath and cause them to live um, a life of anger and acting out <laughs> in that anger. When we, first of all, we try to live our life through them. And, and this, we all run the risk and are in danger of doing this somewhat. And let me tell you why. Because we've got certain likes and dislikes that we want to enjoy with the people we love the most. Right? As a father, there are certain things that I really enjoy that I want to enjoy with my kids. But I've come to find out some of my likes are not their likes. We're just different. And we're different for a reason. Let me give you a great verse. And, and listen, every um, kid in this place, 18 and under, I really want you to listen up this morning to the verse I'm about to give you. Psalm 139 and verse number 14. Watch what this says. Powerful verse. The Bible says, I will praise thee, speaking, I will praise the Lord, for I am, watch this now, fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> Marvelous are thy works, and that, thy, that my soul knows right well. Listen, I want you to know, young people, none of you are an accident. Not one of you. When the Bible says you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made, that simply means that God created you with a purpose and plan in mind. <laughs> so you may have been told that you're an accident. You may have been told that you are worthless. You may have been told that you don't measure up. But let me tell you something. That's not what God says. And we've got to come to the place where we start believing what God says about us and not what everybody else says about us. Because God's what matters. His standard, his truth, is what sets us free. Can you say amen? And so what he says matters, and he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want everybody under the age of 18 to know that God has planned and purpose for your life. You are not an accident. God created you with love, a purpose, and a plan in mind. Not only do I want you to know that from 18 and down, listen, 
You need to know that from 18 and up. This verse is true for all of us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 15. He says, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Verse 16. Thy eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written. It's no accident. You were created like you are created, and you are who you are. God put you together just like he wanted to put you together. Amazing. Which in countenance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now, if that verse is true, and I certainly believe it is, that means we are all individuals. I have been created by God with purpose in mind and you have been created by God with purpose in mind. Now my purpose may not be your purpose. And because I am not you and you are not me, I have different likes and dislikes than you have. And parents, we got to realize the same is true for our kids. They are individuals created by God with purpose in mind for them. And they may not like the same things you like. They may like the same things you like. And if so, great. But if not, great. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, I tell you this because it's true, number one. But also because I've seen what happens when a father or a mother, by that, by that, for, for, for that matter, tries to live their life through their kids. When I was growing up, I had a really good friend that I played ball with all the way through school from the time I was, I don't know, I guess third grade, maybe eight years old through, from Pee Wee's all the way through um, high school football. And a uh, great athlete, fantastic athlete. But from the time he started at eight years old in the third grade, he absolutely hated the game of football, hated everything about it. He, it didn't mean he wasn't good at it. He was really good at it, but he hated it. He hated it every day he had to do it. And, and I, I talked to him several times. I'm like, man, why? If you hate it that bad, then why are you doing it? He said, the only reason I'm doing this is because my daddy makes me. Now, let me tell you what happened. Not only did that hurt that young man, but it hurt the relationship that young man had with his father in a great way. All because daddy was trying to live through that kid. And it provoked him to wrath as far as their, their relationship was concerned. And a lot still hadn't changed even till today. <laughs> it makes a difference. We cannot and should not live our lives through them. God created them to be them and us to be us fearfully and wonderfully. If you believe it, say amen. Number two, how else do we provoke our kids to wrath? When we compare our children to other kids... Let me tell you something that happens a lot of times. You will have a kid who does his or her dead level best to make an A on the test or to do good at the extracurricular activity, whatever it may be that they're involved in, whether it be sports or, or whatever. They're, they're trying their best to do and be their best. But sometimes, no matter how hard they try, they just ain't going to make an A. And sometimes, no matter how hard they try, they're just not going to score the winning touchdown. And sometimes, no matter how hard they try, they just ain't going to measure up in certain things. Why? Because they weren't created for that, maybe. And that's okay. But now listen, when you've got a kid who comes home with a C, 
but he or she has studied their butt off and worked their, their tail off to get that C. And you say, man, I wish you was a, m- a lot more like Timmy down the street or your cousin so-and-so. Then you're absolutely crushing that kid. And you say, brother, I just want to be their best. Well, I get that. I understand that. And we should push them to be their best. But let me tell you how we do it. We don't only praise outcome. We always praise effort. If we only praise and reward outcome, then that child is going to get in their mind that they're only going to measure up and be good enough if they make the A. Or if they catch the touchdown. Or if they do whatever, you fill in the blank. And the truth is, they're not always going to catch the winning pass or make the good grade or do whatever you're requiring them to do. And they're always going to feel like less than it's going to kill their confidence. You hear me? So we don't, yeah, when, when they make an A, praise them. When they do good in whatever, praise them. But that should not be the only time you praise them. When you know they've given their dead level best, always, always, always praise the effort. And as they put forth more effort into it, and you create that character and integrity in them to always be their best and do their best, then that works in every sphere of life they enter into. Can you say amen? Whether it be sports or grades or whatever. So don't live your life through them. Don't compare your children to other kids. Let me give you the third one. We provoke our children to wrath when we create sibling rivalry. What is sibling rivalry? What's the rivalry between brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters? When they're all trying to gain mom and dad's affection, acceptance. And when we start treating one child differently than the other children, I can promise you that will provoke anger in them. We have evidence of this right from Scripture. Do you remember that Jacob had 12 sons? They became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Bible says that Jacob had one son by the name of Joseph that he loved above all the other kids. And he loved Joseph so much that he did for that son what he didn't do for the others. He gave Joseph a coat of many colors. Now, when Joseph got the coat of many colors, his brothers got really angry at Joseph because they didn't receive from the father. See, we got to think about this now. What did the coat of many colors represent? Well, it represented love and acceptance from the father. Joseph got it, and the other 11 didn't. And when that happened, not only did it hurt the relationship between the father and the other 11, but it hurt the relationship between Joseph and the 11. So much so that they beat Joseph up, threw him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery. Killed a goat, spread the the blood on the coat of many colors, and told the father that Joseph had died. Now God still got glorified and, and, and sovereignly by his will did exactly what he wanted to do because he had a plan for Joseph too, can you say amen? And that's all well and good, and we praise the Lord for that. But you need to see, all of that took place because the father treated one kid differently than the other kids. 
My kids are all the time arguing over who's mom's favorite and who's dad's favorite. They're doing it right now. I see them <laughs> talking back and forth. I'm going to tell them again, as I've told them many times, all of you make me mad. I ain't got no favorites, and I don't. I love them all with everything in me. Are they different? Yes. It's amazing to me how they are individuals. They've grown up in the same house with the same rules, love the same way, but they're different, and that's okay. That's good. That makes life fun, amen? But I want them to know Look, I love them all. And I let them know that by treating them all the same. Can you say amen? Don't create sibling rivalry. And certainly don't compare one sibling to the other. If it hurts for a child to get compared to the kid down the street, it's really going to hurt if they're compared to their, to their brothers or sister. I, I was listening to Dr. James Dobson, and I want to encourage you if you're looking for some good information on what it means to be a godly parent, um, then you need to check out James Dobson. Read everything you can find from James Dobson. All of it's good, I promise you. He had a ministry for many years called Focus, Focus on the Family, and, and now he's got a different ministry called Family Talk that he's still involved with. And the Lord has used James Dobson in an amazing way, but he was interviewing a pastor one day on his show from out in California. And the pastor was talking about how we should, all, we should love our kids the same. And he gave an illustration in his own, from his own life. He said that he had a son that was an all-state all running back, that he had got all these accolades you know, from playing football, had always been very athletic and done well with it, loved the sport, loved everything about it, and was just Mr. Everything when it came to football. And he said he was so proud of that son. He said he tried every way he could to always praise effort, not just outcome. And then he said, but you know what? I've got another son that's got Down syndrome. And he said that that son struggles with some things that my other kids didn't struggle with. He said, but one day he came in, and he showed me how that he had learned to tie a shoe. <laughs> and he said, I grabbed that young man up, and I hugged him, and I kissed him, and I said, Son, I am so proud of you. I am so thankful God put you in our life. And he said, You know what? I really meant it. Because I realized it was an accomplishment for my other son to be all state. But it was an accomplishment for this one to tie a shoe. And both of them, both of them needed validation from their father. Let me tell you something, dads. You are the one that can bless your children by giving them validation. When you say I'm proud of you, it means something to that kid. Let me tell you why. Because you've got headship in the home. Your daddy. When you tell them how good they've done, it means something. So tell them. Encourage them. Listen to me, dads. We're all, we can all find ways, or excuse me, areas in our lives that, and in our kids' lives that need to be better. We can always correct. Oh, but listen. 
find ways to praise because they may do, be doing some things you're not pleased with, but they're also doing some things that you, that you are pleased with. And so find those ways and encourage them, validate them. Let them know that you're proud of them and thankful for them. It means the world to a kid. And I'm saying that as a 45-year-old man, it still means the world to me when my father gives me validation. Amen? So let's give it to them. Let's encourage them. Let's build them up. Never tear them down. Do not provoke your children to wrath. But he says that we should do some other things. He first of all says we should nurture. And we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go back into it. But to nurture, in this case, means to discipline. Now, to discipline is to correct behavior. Now, he then says not only should we nurture them when we bring them up, but we should also admonish them. In nurture and admonition, we bring them up in the Lord. Amen? Now, if nurture speaks of discipline and speaks of correction correcting behavior, then admonition speaks of teaching and speaks of instruction. Let me tell you what happens. When you've got correction and instruction working together, you're putting your kids in the right direction. But it takes correction and instruction to change direction. Can you say amen? It takes both of them working hand in hand. So how do we teach our children? Let me give you a good verse. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let's look starting in verse number 1. Deuteronomy 6, you're going to find, is a message preached by Moses. Moses, because of his anger and because of his sin, was kept out of the promised land. He led the nation of Israel all the way from Egypt through the wilderness, but did not get to enter into the promised land. God took him on to heaven. Right before Moses turns the reins over to Joshua, the next leader for the people that God had chosen, he gives them this message. Listen to what he says. In Deuteronomy chapter number 6, these first seven verses, and really what he's teaching them and teaching us is how the promised land can be a blessing for your family. Now watch. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. Everybody say commandments. Everybody say statutes. And everybody say judgments. Which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whether you go to possess it, that, he might, that thou might fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, watch this now, and observe to do it. Now why is Moses telling the people of God to observe to do what God has said? I'll tell you why. Because God's word works. When you work it, that's what Moses is saying. Observe to do what God's told you if you want the promised land to be a blessing for your family. This is what you need to remember. So how are we going to teach our children, moms and dads? Well, first thing we're going to do is be a disciple ourselves. You say, how in the world can I be a disciple? I mean, all the disciples were uh, Matthew and, and James and John and Peter and Andrew and, and all those. Now, now listen to me, folks. That's true. That was the original disciples. But how many of you know all of the world a disciple is is a follower of Christ? And listen, the best way we can teach our children to follow Jesus is by modeling that in our lives. When we follow Jesus. 
I love the Apostle Paul. What a blessing the Apostle Paul is. But listen what he said uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and, and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, brothers, please put that on the screen for me. I gave you the wrong verse. I apologize, man. Let me flip over there and look for myself. Hebrew, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1. Look, look what Paul says there. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now really what Paul is saying, he is actually the father, so to speak, of these churches that he had planted all throughout his missionary journeys. There was three of them. One of those churches was Corinth that he had planted by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the truth of the Word of God, through the leadership that God uh, was leading him to go to different places, he started a church in Corinth. And he says this to them, As a spiritual father, you follow me as I follow Jesus. This is a great way to teach others, listen to me now, how to follow Christ, is that, that if you exemplify that in your life. And parents, that's what we must do. We must be an example for what it means to follow Jesus. Let me tell you what I want my kids to see. I want my kids to see their daddy worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, and serving Jesus while I'm in this church house. Can you say amen? I want them to know that on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when the church doors are open, we're going to be there because we're going to honor God in that. And he has commanded us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we're going to make the worship of God a priority in their life. And I want them to see that their daddy worships, honors, and serves Jesus in the church house. But let me tell you something. That's all well and good. But they also need to see their daddy worshiping, honoring, and serving Jesus in my house. I want them to see me praising the Lord with these worship songs that we sing. I want them to see me preaching from the pulpit here in a setting like this. I want them to see me serving how I serve right here. But I also want, to see, want them to see me worshiping, serving, and honoring Jesus in my home by praying around the dinner table. And taking advantage of the opportunities I have to maybe speak truth into their life. Amen? See, the lessons we teach about following Christ are not just taught, but mainly they're caught. I went to the doctor's office just yesterday. Went in to get some blood work done. Had to get some medicine refilled. And I'm coming out of the doctor's office, and man, the whole lobby had just filled up, people everywhere. And I said, man, y'all are busy today, speaking to the nurse that was walking with me. And she said, man, flu has just, I think everybody in Hamilton's got the flu. She said, it's just everywhere. She said, it's just spreading like wildfire. Let me tell you what happens with the flu. Y'all know, you've got symptoms that go along with it. Wouldn't you agree? you got the coughing and the sneezing and the headache and the aches and pains that go along with that sickness. And, it's, and when you're around people and you've got those symptoms, before long those germs are passed around and then they catch what you've got all because you had the symptoms. Now listen to me, moms and dads. I want my life to be symptomatic of someone who is a disciple of Jesus. Honoring, 
serving and worshiping in the church, honoring, serving, and worshiping in the home so that maybe, just maybe, my kids will catch the flu. You get what I'm saying? I want to pass it on to them. Now, they've got to make their own decision. They've got to individually make their decision to trust in the Lord or not trust in Him. But I want to make sure I'm creating an environment where they want what I've got. Amen? That's how we do it. Now, that's how we teach, but what do we teach? Well, first and foremost, we teach them who Jesus is. Look what the Bible says there in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Go back there with me just a moment. Deuteronomy 6. Look down to verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Here in this one verse, if you read it in the original Hebrew, you're going to see that there's two names for God given. You have Lord, L-O-R-D, and you have God. Now, those of you who are in Kingdom Man and were with us last Sunday night, you know what that means. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is the word Yahweh in the Hebrew. And then the word God that you see there is the word Elohim in the Hebrew. Now, why does, God, why does the Bible put it like that? Why did Moses speak it like that? Why did God the Holy Spirit inspire him to give it like that? Because this is why. Listen, Yahweh means the master who is sovereignly or wants to be sovereignly in control of your life. God or Elohim, that means the creator God who has all power. So what the Bible is saying is, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Lord. The one who's sovereignly in control or wants to be sovereignly in control of your life and also this powerful God of all creation is the one we are worshiping, serving, and honoring. We teach them who Jesus is. We teach them that he's to be the master. He's to be the Lord. We teach, him, teach them that, listen, we are to follow his commandments. And we teach them this God we're following can do all things. Can you say amen? He is God Elohim. He is the creator of all things. And he did it just by his spoken word. Look at verse number 5. Watch this. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Look, I want them to see me loving Jesus. Can you say amen? And again, maybe they might want to have that relationship with him as well. We teach them to love Jesus. We teach them who he is. And when they understand who he is, they won't have a problem loving him, following him. Now, where do we learn stuff like that? Do you know it's our mission, our goal to make it all about Jesus right here at Mount Zion Baptist Church? From services like this to Sunday school to small groups to whatever planning program that we have, we want to make sure that we are lifting up Jesus, that we are teaching Jesus, and we invite you to be a part of that. And we're going to do all that we can to teach you and to teach your children who Jesus is, how to love him, and why we should fear him, why we should respect him and reverence him. And this is the message. This is the message. 
that Moses is saying to parents, mamas and daddies. Now, we're going to do that here in the church, but all of that begins in the home. Amen? Again, I'm glad we come to church, and man, they need to see you in church and worshiping, honoring, and loving Jesus in church, but they need to see you worshiping, honoring, and loving Jesus around the dinner table. Verse number six. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest at thine house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You know what he's saying? Throughout your day, throughout your life, take advantage of the opportunity you have to speak into the life of your kids. Because guess what? They're not going to be in your house forever. There's going to come a time when they leave and make their own decisions and choices. And I'm not going to be able to speak to them on a daily basis about who Christ is, why we serve Him, why we honor Him, and why we love Him, and what a, what a difference that makes in our life. So I've got to take advantage of the time I have right now. Can you say amen? You do too, because it goes by really quickly. Now, let me just give you one more thing, and I'm done. Parents, a great time to do that is around the dinner table. Enjoying a meal together. I can't tell you how many times the Lord has blessed us and we just had church around the dinner table. I love it. I'd rather have church around the dinner table than have church right here. I love it. It's powerful. It's amazing how God opens those doors. It's amazing what God can do. So that's what he's talking about when you sit down, when you get up, when you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning. Take advantage of every opportunity. Listen. To live in front of them the example and as you follow Jesus, they can follow you. You do that with your life. And then you speak truth to them with your lips as God opens those doors. If you believe it, say amen. Those are things we should do, parents. And we also looked at some things we don't do. And God gave us all that. God's word works. Let's work it this week. Everybody stand together.